0: God's intent was that now through the church The multifaceted wisdom of God Should be made known to the rulers and authorities In the heavenly realms According to his eternal purpose That he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord I love the church But the church drives me crazy Uh, I have so much hope for the church But the church breaks my heart at the same time. This past fall, we were, a few of us were able to uh, interview some of our friends from a board gaming group at the Alamo uh, draft House in Richardson, a bunch of us meet there every Sunday night for games, and I was doing the school project that required me to do some culture study, and so we thought we'd have some conversations with our, our friends there, um, particularly to interview them about what makes the draft house, this board game group, a meaningful experience. Because there really is something significant there in the relationships that people have with each other, a sense of belonging and connection. And so we asked general questions about uh, community, about relationships, about commitment, and just a little bit of inquiry about spirituality. Um, in part because it wasn't the the focus of our interest, but also because uh, most of the folks that we interviewed, uh, almost all of them, would describe themselves as atheists or agnostic, And so many don't operate with categories for spirituality. But what was fascinating was that even, even a very general inquiry about spirituality in almost all of the people we interviewed surfaced stories of religious trauma. Uh, we didn't solicit these stories. We didn't go asking for like, "How has the church hurt you?" Uh, but but all we had to say was, "How might this connect to spirituality?" For them to say, "Let me tell you some stories about spirituality," uh, and that that got our attention. Uh, one of our friends, uh, she told me about an experience that she had uh, growing up. She was in those angsty junior high years trying to find her way and she was part of a church and she had this amazing spiritual mentor who invested in her who was a confidant who she felt safe with and then all of a sudden he disappeared and she didn't know why he didn't say goodbye he, he had no explanation he was there one week and he was gone the next and she said I hated him for that I needed this guy. Where did he go? Years later, she found out the reason why he departed. The reason was because the denomination had uh, tried to send a different pastor there who this spiritual mentor knew to have sexually abused children. And he said, if you bring that person to this church, I'll notify the press. And this will never happen here. And if, it, if you bring this person here, I'm going to leave. And they said, okay, we won't send this pastor to the church, but also you're going to leave. And so they ousted um, some, some saving face kind of mechanism, I suppose. And my friend said that when she found out, she said after that, I was like, organized religion can F off. It's all money-making to me. There's nothing redeemable about any organized religion I've ever known. And I see where she's coming from after that kind of experience. Hardly the multifaceted wisdom of God coming through in the church. Instead, the church was co-opted by rulers and authorities, the powers and principalities of evil at work in the world. The dumpster fire of the world that Ben talked about a few weeks ago, invaded her church experience. I listened to uh, a podcast called The Liturgist, uh, one episode in particular a few weeks ago on spiritual trauma that was really fascinating and I I recommend. It's really good to listen to. But lots of their listeners and even the hosts themselves um, have said that they have walked away from organized religion because of Spiritual trauma, um, like my Alamo friend did. But one fascinating part of the conversation that grabbed my attention was that many of their listeners who would identify as agnostic or atheist or non-religious, and even the hosts themselves, many of them would admit that they were listening because they couldn't deny they were hungry for community. Even spiritual community, even God. As if they were made for it or wired for it. And yet, they were done with those structures and systems that had traumatized them and other people. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think that might be true about some of the people who are in this room. It's certainly true in some ways for me. Uh, We've experienced our own trauma with church. And yet, here we are. Here we are. What is up with that? Here we are on the other side or in the midst of trauma. Is this the last stop before the final exit? Or is it something else? We're having a conversation about the story of God and what it means for us to join this story. And so far, we've talked about the first four episodes of the story. Creation, crisis, covenant, a.k.a. Israel, and Christ, a.k.a. Jesus. This week's episode of the story, I feel like I'm leading a podcast, He saying this. This week's episode of the story is the church. So, picking up where we left off, after Jesus came back to life, three days after being crucified, that's always difficult for me to say casually. Like, so, Jesus was killed, crucified, 72 hours later. Surprise! He's alive again. He was dead. He came back to life. Kind of the, the heart of, of the ripple in the narrative that causes all of these uh, changes, all of these ramifications in the story. Anyhow, Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples. He's teaching them what all of this means now in, on the other side of death and resurrection. The things that they couldn't see uh, staring at the front end of it before it had all happened. At the end of that time, he ascends into the heavenly realms. Wish I could have been there for that. Did he disappear? Did he apparate? You know, he kind of went up into the sky. and But he was a person. Like they felt him. They hugged him. But he ascended into heaven. And he told them before he left, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll know what to do. You'll have an opportunity to witness to this story and to this way of life to people all over the world. What the disciples do next is kind of weird on the surface. Um, Initially, there were 12 main leaders that Jesus kind of called together, 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And um, you you might recall from the story that one of those disciples betrayed Jesus, Judas, and then hung himself uh, afterwards. And so they were down to 11. But for some reason, they decided that that they were incomplete. Like, there can't just be 11 of us. We need to replace the 12th. And so they have this whole process by which they find the person who will be the 12th and thus com- complete kind of their leadership team for this new thing. And that's, that seems weird, but it's significant because of where their story, where they came from. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And Jesus chooses 12 men uh, as a symbol that he's connected to what's happening in Israel, and so these these apostles, these folks, feel like we need a twelfth because our anticipation is that God is up to something with Israel. God is about to, God has done, and God is going to do something new in and through Israel. Not long after was Pentecost, one of Israel's holidays. Jewish folks were scattered all over the world, Africa and Turkey and Greece and Italy. They would they would ascend to Jerusalem. They would they would pilgrim a pilgrimage. They would. What's the verb for that? They would pilgrimage to (laughs) Jerusalem. They would go on journey. They would go on pilgrimage. Uh, And they would worship at the temple, they were all there together I mean there are hundreds of thousands of people that are around And it kind of focuses on sacrifice and worship at the temple And in the midst of all of that, as the disciples, the apostles, the Jesus people are there They start speaking out in all of these different languages None of which they knew beforehand And the folks that are there at the temple from all over the world are like Somebody's speaking my language It's got like a little Galilean dialect to it or something. What is is going on? And it gives Peter, one of the twelve, an opportunity to talk about the story of Jesus and what's happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus to make Jesus the King, the Messiah of Israel. And even to talk to people about how, how love and forgiveness and healing would come through him. And so thousands of Jewish folks give their allegiance to Jesus in this Pentecost day. They give their allegiance to His way of love and they're ritually washed, they're baptized at the temple grounds as a public declaration of their new allegiance. And all these new Jesus followers formed communities together in houses around Jerusalem. They prayed, they fellowshiped, they, they lived out Jesus' way of love through their sharing, through their care for each other. They believed that in their life together, this new world that Jesus initiates through His new life is like being extended Through them, through their existence as these little communities. And those folks that came from Africa and Syria and Turkey and Greece and Italy, as they go home, they do the very same thing. They take this new message about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah with them, and organize in communities in their synagogues, around folks who are are scandalized by the story of death and resurrection. By the story of God doing something new in Israel. In Luke's telling of this story in Acts, he connects what happens at Pentecost to a prophecy that one of Israel's prophets many centuries before, Joel, talked about. He said at the end of time, uh, in the end days, when God starts to make everything new, the way we'll know, the signal will be that God will pour out God's spirit. On all flesh, on all people, young and old, rich and poor, um, little kids and older women. Everybody will become a prophet because everybody will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke says that's what started to happen at Pentecost, at the temple in Jerusalem that day. Some who tell this story would say that what happened on Pentecost was the birthday of the church. Happy birthday! But that's not exactly right. What happened that day was the renewal of Israel. These new Jesus communities that cropped up saw themselves as renewed Israel under the leadership of Messiah Jesus. The church is the continuation of the story of Israel and not something different or, or completely new. The church is Israel as a light to the world, as partners, as Paul talked about, partners with God uh, in the line of Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. This is not a different story. This is not, this is not something completely new or different. This is a continuation. This is, this is Israel continued. These Jewish communities naturally thought that all this good news of forgiving and healing for Israel and the Jewish people was a witness to the world. But you saw that. Did you see that Isaiah 60 text that we read? Kind of the idea of that is like Israel is this amazing, glorious expression of the goodness of God. And everybody comes from all the nations to see it. That was kind of the extent of the imagination. Like if, if, if you are not a part of Israel, you kind of get to watch Maybe there's some processes for you to kind of get on the outside of that. But really, this is about Israel. That was a common expectation, probably even among the Jesus followers. When they were thinking about going to the ends of the earth, they're like, we're going to go and tell all these scattered Jewish folks and and renew Israel, right? Which begs the question, here we are, um, and we don't, as far as I know, have any ethnically Jewish folks in the room, and yet all of us, Or lots of us would say, yeah, I'm part of the church, not Jewish. How did that happen? Well, I'm so glad you asked. You guys are just tracking right with me, right? The leaders of the Jewish community are pretty scandalized by these early Jewish followers, too, um, who are subscribing to the way of Jesus because a big part of their narrative is that it's the religious leader's fault that Jesus was crucified. That while it was the plan of God, the, the the fault, the blame for the bad guys in that story were the religious leaders. This is not good PR for the religious leaders. They've already had plenty of trouble with Rome, with the central office, after everything that happened with Jesus. And so we need to quiet this. And so they begin systematic persecution of the Jewish followers of Jesus. You know, they, they put Peter and John, a couple of the leaders, a couple of the twelve, they put them in jail. They stone Stephen to death. They um, they go from house to house and and sniff out those Jesus followers to try to snuff them out because it's it's bad press and it's it it upsets the equilibrium, it upsets status quo. So as a result, all these Jesus followers in Jerusalem scatter. Lots of the apostles who are in Jerusalem, they scatter. They scatter north to Samaria, where half-Jewish folks live, the Samaritans. They scatter even further north to Syria, where completely non-Jewish folks live. Um, and of course, as they go, they're, they're like fired up about the story about what's happened with Jesus. And so naturally, they are telling the story of Jesus and, and how he is the king of Israel and how, how what he did and what happened to him and what God did through him was changing the world. And crazy stuff starts to happen. The same kinds of spiritual experiences that happen on Pentecost start to happen among these half-Jewish and non-Jewish folks. Peter, one of the like, staunchest, most Jewish, you know, he was Torah-faithful kind of guy, he has this crazy vision to go to this non-Jewish Roman officer's house and he witnesses all of them start to speak in these crazy languages and experience the Holy Spirit. And he's like, whoa, God must be at work outside of Israel as I have known it. And this causes a major brouhaha because you have all of these non Jewish expressions of Jesus community starting to pop up. People who are getting a hold of this forgiveness and healing and liberation. And they they don't follow Torah or the customs of the Jewish people the same way. And so they're like, well, we've got to do some quality control here. This is great, you know, but, uh, you know, let's stay in the boundaries. Let's meet up. So they have a conference. Uh, a major deliberation. Everybody gets back to Jerusalem uh, where, the, where kind of the, the elders of the elders live still and they share these stories about what God is doing among half-Jewish and non-Jewish folks. And you know what they decide? You know what? We think God may be inviting the whole world to be a part of Israel. We, may think, we, we think God is opening the doors for the whole world to get to be a part of Israel. They effectively discovered that this new church thing wasn't just Israel renewed. It was Israel expanded. Expanded to include all people and nations. Both Jewish and non-Jewish. Anybody who gave allegiance to Jesus and to the way of love that, that Jesus uh, chartered and pioneered. Anybody... Could be a part of it. This is the way that God would extend the blessing of the promise of Abraham to everybody that was in the world. The rest of the story of the New Testament, because I'm trying to summarize about half the Bible in five minutes, the rest of the story recounts how Paul and his companions, after Paul, who had once persecuted those very Jewish Christian folks, He was right there when Stephen was getting stoned. He has this radical encounter with Jesus and it changes his life. And he and his his friends start to travel all around the Greco-Roman world from modern day Turkey to Greece to Italy to establish these multi-ethnic communities of Jesus among both Jewish and non-Jewish people. These communities witnessed to the good news of Jesus in their life together the new way of love that jesus ushered in they invited everyone who showed interest anyone who was curious about what, now how are there so many women that are leading in your community how is it that slaves and free people are are like equals and peers how is it that people who didn't have family and who would be poor and destitute are, now are like provided for and what is up with you guys well let's tell you the story of jesus Let's talk to you about somebody through through whose life and death and resurrection has changed our entire way of viewing reality. All were welcome. None were required. (laughs) Over time, these multi-ethnic communities spread and multiplied like wildfire through Greco-Roman households all over the empire as an alternative political expression, both to Israel as it once was and to the Greco-Roman empire as it was. So that, that verse that we started out with, when Paul mentions how the church makes known the multifaceted Wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities. It's this story that he's talking about. Um, In its context, in Ephesians, this letter, Paul's discussing how through Jesus, God breaks down this dividing wall of hostility so that Jewish and non-Jewish people can become this unified new humanity. He makes one humanity out of what was at odds, out, at, out of what was um, at war with each other, the church is the new humanity. So the, the the church is not simply a collection of individuals who have suddenly come into relationship with God. The the, the church is a social transformation. It is it, it revolutionizes relationships in the world. It is boundary breaking and liberating, bringing all nations and all people together under the leadership of Jesus. Paul calls this the mystery of Christ. He also calls this the gospel, or the good news of God. Derwin Gray notes that the word multifaceted, or manifold is the word in the NIV. Manifold, not like, um, I had to look this up, you know how your car has a manifold, um, not, so not like that But the reason it's called a manifold in your car Is because it's this central hub That sends stuff in all of these different directions And that's manifold Manifold is multifaceted uh, Derwin, Derwin Gray says that manifold It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament And it refers to a multicolored coat Maybe like Joseph in the Technicolor Dream Coat or something uh, that the church is like a multi-colored coat that witnesses to the way that God in Christ is gathering all of these multicolors, all of these facets of creation. God is gathering them up and unifying them, making peace and love among them under the leadership of King Jesus. brings to mind what Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 3, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And get this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're part of Israel. It connects to the story. Heirs according to the promise. The promise that God gave to Abraham. That through the family of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All of us non-Jewish folks get to be a part of that because of the work of Jesus. So you heard Sarah say that uh, earlier this week we took a trip to Tampa to see a a church network there. And uh, the origin stories of that network are about... I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago when um, several of the initial leaders were campus ministry leaders through InterVarsity in Tampa at USF and University of Tampa. And like a bunch of college students gave allegiance to Christ. They experienced Christian community that, that is outward looking to love and serve neighbors and, and invite them into the goodness of the kingdom of God the, the good and beautiful life In the gospel Lots of them have experienced that And then they graduate Out of this campus ministry And and they kind of send them out Okay like, hey, you guys Be salt and light Join churches in Tampa uh, And And um, the college students did They joined the churches And they're fired up They're like Okay how do we keep How do we keep doing this How do we keep living together In close knit community how, how do we serve and love our neighbors And join in what God is doing in this city And so they took those questions To these churches in Tampa And the churches in Tampa said things like Well uh, You know you could You could be an attendant in the parking lot uh, Or you know Like hand out flyers when people come to our worship services, and they were terribly frustrated by that.
1: Like, you think? They're like, this
0: is different than what we experienced. The, the, given what they had experienced on their campuses, in their dorms, in relationships with each other, uh, what they experienced in, in more consumer-oriented frames of church and worship service and all of that, just uh, fell flat. They're like, we're frustrated. Like, this doesn't feel like we don't get to play and participate the way that we did when we were in college. So they're coming back and asking these campus ministry leaders, well, you know, what what do we do with this? So they began to dream about what's a way that we can empower these missionary leaders to go out and start expressions of the church all over the city that connect to their neighbors that they're meeting. And to let Jesus lead them into that. And just to give them permission to do it. And help them to feel like they're a part of the church. And that they're continuing this story that we're talking about this morning. And so as of you know, now. Uh, this this uh, initial group that kind of started out of a campus ministry. Has blossomed into a network of 200 and something micro churches. Uh, they call them microchurches Just expressions of church They could be big They could be small uh, But they're organized Like us Around up and in and out around, around worship and community And mission And we got to meet Missionaries who were leading churches for, for Asian young adults In the city For transgendered people of color for There's one awesome group Called Mama Africana For young black women who are trying to find their way as followers of Jesus in the city? For for women, there's another group called Created that's actually uh, grown into its own nonprofit that serves women in prostitution. It also serves other women who've been sexually assaulted in various ways. They they have microchurches for people in poverty and homelessness, for middle class suburban parents. For they have recovery houses for men who are recovering from addiction to uh, to alcohol or to drugs. I was stunned and, and, and overjoyed to find out that two-thirds of their network, two-thirds of these 200-plus microchurches are led by women. How cool is that? Let's say all the ladies shout out. All these different kinds of people are brought together in this beautiful unity. It's a living picture of the multicolored wisdom of God. It's by no means perfect, Um, It's got its problems and flaws As we could see, as they would admit After all, they're broken people Just like us But it gives me hope That under the leadership of King Jesus There's an alternative path For the church in our day A church that doesn't dole out spiritual trauma But rather channels the life And peace and love and wholeness of King Jesus. So discussion. Uh, uh, I, I've tried to tell the story of the church in the Bible. I've tried to imagine where where we might relate and, and connect to that. And I'm curious to hear from you after hearing this part of God's story about the church. Um what does it look like for us in storyline? What does it look like for our missional communities to find our place in this story, in this part of the story in particular? What's, uh, what's hitting you? I want
1: to start with company you... Oh, and... stop it, John. <laughs> in, in, ...in brilliantly <laughs> presenting the complicated, crazy New Testament in a in a few minutes. I mean I've been forty years of this game and I can't remember anybody's put it all together. Ever put it all together, much less in a in one city.
0: Right on. Well what, what's uh, what's grabbing your attention about this telling of the story?
1: Well there's there, there's a thread and there's a narrative and there's a beginning, middle and the end and it comes to us. I mean I mean you you, you wove a lovely tapestry. But again, I have heard so many sermons I can't count them. Yeah, a couple, but none presented the frame around which this we sit.
0: Yeah, it, it just did. It is interesting that that you know we, we do uh, we do sometimes like last year we kind of spent hunker down for most of the year in First Corinthians, kind of in the weeds of this emerging church. And it does kind of give a, and uh, and sometimes I'll say it can get a little depressing, because you're like, man, they're like, at every turn, Paul's like, the way of love. You're not loving, guys, like you're missing it here. The way of love. You're not loving, guys, you're missing it here. And yet when you zoom out and kind of see the bigger frame, the bigger picture of what God was up to um, in all of these different ground level realities, uh, it it is a different feel. Yeah.
1: I mean, Google Maps. I mean, zoom way, way, way right. out where you can see. Like, I mean, you can go to like Doppler Radar. You know, and it's like, well, here's 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 the Dallas area. That's amusing. But well, what's what, where are the fronts coming and going, and, and what's bringing about this snowstorm or this hurricane yep. moving along the Gulf Coast? So you have zoomed us out, and yep. I appreciate
0: that. Give some context. Other reactions to the zoom out.
1: Um,
2: you know, I think it's interesting that. You know, in the beginning, it was for a particular people. The Jews uh, knew they were the people of God. Um, like they, they, they knew the rhythms. They knew the way it was. And so, then the, you know, all of a sudden, like, like Gentiles can can do this too. And you know, just the changing of the rules. Um, what does it look like for? For us to be open to something we've never experienced or imagined before, <coughs> um, and, and how do we how do we set ourselves up to to welcome it instead uh, of flipping out or freaking out or yeah. you know like, what does it yeah. look like to to pay attention to something that's new and different that we never expected?
0: Yeah, word. Great question. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think connected to that, the uh, the way in which the life of the community of Jesus followers is dependent on people that aren't a part of those Jesus followers. Mm-hmm. Like they they came to new understandings of who they were, mm-hmm. and who God was, and is mm-hmm. by these people that they would have never expected. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, uh, like, there's deep hope in that. But and part of the hopelessness and critique of the church is the way in which we've lost Mm -hmm. that—that we we see that like the rest of the world, their life is dependent on us and Mm -hmm. what we have to offer. Mm -hmm. And much of sort of Western Christianity, I think, needs to recapture that our life is dependent on these people we haven't met yet Mm -hmm. and who are outside of. Sort of our communities that we need them yeah. for our own formation and to see who God is. Yeah, yeah and, and the story yeah. of
2: the church is yeah. is always about the other, the the, the not yet here, because if uh, if if it's not about them, then the
1: church is it's
0: done. Mm. Yeah, it, that, that is Acts as kind of this narrative of the church continually discovering God outside of itself. In that, in that way, which is amazing. Uh, Duncan
4: and then Aaron. Um, I think what, what sticks out is that there is constantly hope, right? Then mm-hmm. what you started with was that you have hope for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was very apparent then because of Duncan is that the kingdom was coming mm-hmm. and that there was hope. And that 2,000 year wait has dulled our hope around mm-hmm. And so I, I, the thing that, that really captured me as you, as you talked was that God is just as present now as he, as he was when it was Pentecost and everyone was flabbergasted at how amazing God was to be able to hear in their own languages. Mm-hmm. But that there are still things going on now in the church that are flabbergasting people and capturing people's hearts and we can get so close to the church that we become familiar and see all the negative sides of it because mm-hmm. it carries a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. But we miss the miracle of the, the child who has, who, who has family that aren't just their parents and they get raised up in the church. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we miss some of those intimate moments because we've, we've gathered this 2,000 year baggage of, but I thought the kingdom was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do we, uh,
0: how do we hold? And we've got to have space to hold the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess part of the ramification of this story too is how do we hold space for the hope too, and, and hold those together. Yeah, because they're both true. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, can
5: I? Care? I, uh, I was really s- s- the word that stands out to me is mystery mm. from this text, and I like when Paul says the churches. God may complain the administration of this mystery of God. Like, okay, so this is like the end of the mystery, and I'm kind of picturing, like, myself as part of a, a member of the church my entire life, like, sometimes, like, I'm reading through this mystery novel, and the end comes, I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it? Like, the church? Like, that's it? That's a big revelation? Like, this, you know, bad coffee drinking group... People that come like that's the big thing, <laughs> but it, but then it's followed up with this is the manifold wisdom of God, as mm. you said. So it's like this thing which seems so plain, and the administration of it seems so plain, mm. is part of this plan that Paul beautifully says in Ephesians three, reaches from Israel to the heavenly realms yeah. to a space we've never seen, mm. and it's like this kind of connecting manifold, this kind of yes. this kind of conduit yeah. between this you know, this group in the heavenly realm and it's all under <coughs> this mystery mm. and sometimes you know, we bring our own baggage into it, of course, and this mystery falls flat on its face at times and does a poor job mm. of administering this this news this news of God, but it is still his peace. Mm. So when I'm hearing this, I'm just thinking my imagination for what the church could be mm. is often so small because it's so localized mm. to what I've always seen
0: it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right on. Last one, John.
1: Uh, I was born in 1953. In the 50s, Billy Graham was hot, hot popping, and Busted was a baby. Busted. We all read together the same thing, and so becoming a Christian was was fitting into this mold. There was a Baptist mold, and the Methodist mold, Church of Cross mold, and that's even the Christians, thank you. And we had three major stations at PBS, which was not really a station. Uh, network. Yeah, and now, we have, what, 90 bajillion options, right? And like in cookbooks, there was the Danny Crocker cookbook. That was it. You cook. You use that cookbook. That's it. That's all American cooking. Now, what? 85 bajillion different ethnic... So, so, so what they you do in Tampa? They're speaking of language. They, they, they're taking the cable TV... Situations to where the transgender people will hear the good news in a way they can resonate with. It. They'll have to get into the, the Sunday School quarterly. We're all going to take this spin on on, on Psalm 23 because Job, the shot, you know, who's got, you know, gray hair, and, and he, he told us how what it really means. You know, so we're going to all, you know, hear that. So, so the manifold,
6: mm-hmm. so the manifoldness
1: mm-hmm. of both the multiculturalness and the pluralityness mm-hmm. is kind of like the U.S. is changed. So the church is going. Well, I don't
0: know. Yeah, you know, I think for it, part of what it means for us too, as a um, as a community, I think it 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 can apply to um, to race, to economic status, to gender. But um, how is the, the Holy Spirit, how is the, the leadership of Jesus breaking those boundaries within our own community, within our own missional communities? How are we opening ourselves across those boundaries? Because that's what Jesus is doing in the world. How do we participate in that? I said last one, but then Julie raised her hand. I, I have to say yes to Julie um, for fear of my life. Yeah. wisdom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right on it. You know, no
6: history there. Right so <laughs> on. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, I, I sat in this Christian women's conference this weekend and heard a lot of stuff, and I was like, hard tasked. But then this girlfriend, International Justice Mission, got up and talked, and y'all probably are vaguely familiar with what they do. Um, and she just talked about. You know, their, their goal is to end slavery, specifically kids, all over the world. And then going out and how many just overwhelmingly discouraging experiences they have. They get burned by people they've paid to go free people. You know, they keep the money and they run. They, you know, they figure out one way to cut off an arm of the leg, or whatever. And, <laughs> and the arm of the beast and then another one grows right back. You know, she said, you know, for every Five people we have working to end child slavery the FBI would tell us there's 750,000 more online right now working against that I like how overwhelming that is and she's like, but you know what, we just keep going we just keep sending people out we keep trusting people to go do good in the name of Jesus because we believe that the kingdom is not this little circle that we've built around ourselves in the western church but that the kingdom is far reaching and it's going to be messy and it's going to be discouraging and if we give up, then we've made it about ourselves, our own experience, and not about um, the experience of the manifold wisdom of God. You know, I just kept holding on to that. Because, like, I maybe mean, you get so discouraged. Like, you know, these people just keep telling us negative stories of church and negative stories of church. And, like, for every one good story, you have all these negative stories. And you just think, like, man, I've I got to somehow have this more aerial view of, of what it means to live out the kingdom. Otherwise, you just... You know,
0: if you don't have that vision of hope, then you're just looking very linear, and it's very discouraging. Word. Well, let's pray on this. Uh, We got a few minutes for our mission prayers. Um, One thing I really appreciate about our prayer time in Tampa is that they were like, we don't really pray for the underground. That's what they're called. We just pray, like Jesus, would you like come and be present with us? Like, can we have more of you, Jesus? Can we know you better? Can, can we hear your voice better? Um, would you just like come and be king and Lord? And we'll be okay if you do that. Um, so maybe there are the, those kinds of prayers. I mean, the prayers for what's going on in our community um, is legit as well. Uh, but anyways that you feel um, a, a prayer bubbling up in your heart, that we would experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, um, you're, you're free to... Come and pray that prayer for the next few months.